This episode of The Sleeper and the Bust is brought to you by Out of the Park Baseball 17, the most authentic baseball strategy game ever made. Available now on PC, Mac, and Linux platforms. This is the Out of the Park Baseball you've been waiting for. Not only does Out of the Park Baseball 17 feature its trademark baseball strategy immersion like no other game out there, including nearly 150 years of baseball history in a single package, it now includes the MLBPA license for the first time along with the returning MLB.com license. This means all the real teams, players, logos, ballparks, and more. You simply cannot get more authentic. There are so many community-driven features added this year, we can't list them all here. But a few highlights include accurate 2016 opening day major league rosters, accurate major and minor leagues with authentic names, logos, and rosters dating back over more than a century, an all-new historical exhibition mode that lets you realistically play teams from any year and era against each other in a single game or series. If you want to take those 2001 Mariners who won 116 games but ultimately disappointed when they lost in the ALCS and pit them against the 1954 Cleveland Indians who won 111 games but also disappointed when they lost in the World Series that year, you can now do it and see which one's better. Accurate representation of 2016 MLB faces showing their emotions and aging over time thanks to the MLBPA license and face gen technology. Beautiful improved visuals on and off the field, plus so much more. Even better, if you buy now through the Sleeper in the Bus podcast, you'll receive a 10% discount off of the retail price of $39.99 by going to ootpdevelopments.com and clicking on the order banner. Just enter the code SLEEPER17 at checkout to not only get a discount, but also help support the Sleeper in the Bust, indie sports video game development, and all the people who work to bring you the great game of Out of the Park Baseball 17. Once again, just go to ootpdevelopments.com, click on the order banner, then enter the code SLEEPER17, that's SLEEPER17, at checkout for a special discount and to help support Sleeper and the Bust. And now for the episode. Welcome to episode 324 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Thursday, March 24th. I'm your host, Paul Spohr, joined by a special guest today, Fangraph's excellent injury expert, Jeff Zimmerman. How are you, bud? Doing good. It's good to have you on. We participated in the mixed head-to-head tout wars draft, and Jason and I did a, did a podcast last night where we talked about the, the AL and NL touts. And I figured, you know, once you reached out to me, I figured, you know what, that's going to be way better if you and I talk about our draft because an outsider looking at the prices and everything just isn't going to have a good feel for what was going on. So uh, I was really glad that you reached out because I think it's way better to have two people who are in the room talk about it than to try to have an outsider say, oh, well, that was a good price or that was a bad price because there are scoring quirks to it. It's a head-to-head league with a roto component. There's just a lot of different things going on. So I figure let's have Jeff on. First time uh, first time I've had you on the podcast, so definitely glad to have you on. Let me get our Twitters out of the way for folks that want to follow us at Spore as always, and then at Jeff W. Zimmerman. And for those of you that follow Jordan Zimmerman, that's just one N for Jeff, not the double N like Jordan Zimmerman, the pitcher. So please rate and review the podcast on iTunes. We're crushing it over there. We're trying to get up to five, uh, 400 reviews. We're at 396 with a five-star. And let's just dive in because, like I said, it was a, a crazy draft. It's a new format. By the way, I don't know if you saw Peter's email, but did you notice that this is now a, a permanent format? This is not Tout X. The Tout X is still going to be its own thing. The head-to-head is a new permanent format for Tout Wars. Did you see that? I saw that. I'm going to see if we get any recommendations for changes. As I, th- I think we'll kind of see how this year goes. Exactly. They'll, they'll see how the year goes and see what needs to be adjusted at the end. But um. And I, th- I think we'll learn that maybe some things need to be changed, but I'm very interested to try it. And like it, when he first offered it up, Peter Kreutzer, I said, yeah, I want to try this because it's a new format that I've never played before. So before we get into our teams and kind of how the auction went, let's cover some of these uh, some of these quirks here. First off, if you want to hit on the scoring system, because there's different categories, and then we'll touch on some of the how the games are played and how you can accumulate wins. So why don't you why don't you give us the categories first? Yeah, for hitting, it's it's pretty basic. You got on base percentage, which Tout uses instead of average. 
and then you've got home runs, runs, and RBIs. And then finally, there's um, net steals instead of regular steals. And looking over the numbers, it really is not much of a difference between the steals and the net steals um, value-wise. And um, then for pitchers, it's where it gets, we have a little bit more changes. Instead of just wins, we have wins and quality starts. We have net saves instead of just regular saves. And on that, the biggest difference was is some of the non-closers will get like a blown save, but they never get the chance to get the regular save. Exactly. So sometimes those players can kind of get affected. We have our normal ones of ERA and WHIP. But then finally, instead of strikeouts, we got strikeouts per nine. Which kind of so, gives those middle relievers you were talking about, that gives them back some of that value that they might have lost from the, from the blown saves. Right. And it also makes, if you could roster nine closers, would be possible. You could probably dominate four of the categories with strikeouts, whips, ERA, and saves. But um, that kind of comes down to our scoring. So and um, and and also they they put in an innings minimum to try to curb that. And there's a first and second half innings minimum of 475 for each side. Um, so that that tries to make sure that we don't go in and, and, and put nine nine stud closers out there and just try to dominate those four categories and let go of quality starts and wins. So speaking of wins and accumulating wins in this league, talk to us a little bit about that, because that's where the quirks really come in. This is not your standard head to head where it's 10 wins uh, up for each week. So how do we accumulate wins? So the wins are divided three. You match up with your opponent. And then six wins are given out each week. Two, two wins are given out for who wins the most pitching categories of the three. If there's a tie, the wins are split 1-1. One, one. Whoever wins most of the hitting categories, again, if there's a tie, um, the wins are split. And then they combine all 10 of the categories. Whoever wins that gets... Um, two wins also. So you can get up to six wins or, you know, divide it down to three, three, however it works out, but there's always the wins to give out. And then, so there's 22 weeks. So total there's 132 possible wins you can get in the head to head matchups. And then with the Roto portion of the draft or of the league, there's, they take all of our, totals for the first half and they see where we stand roto wise and the top team gets 11 wins the next team gets 10 and it works on down to one mm -hmm. or zero this is zero because it's 12 12 teams and then we do that for the second half and then for the full season but that only works out to a total of 33 possible wins which is 20 percent of the total so i could almost have seen a person take a chance and just try to dominate the head-to-head -head aspect and not worry about the innings and just hope they would get some wins from the roto aspect. But yeah, try to no finish. One, no one did. Try to finish mid-pack. Somebody, somebody could have tried that, but like you said, nobody really did. So it all adds up, I think, was it to 162 games or is it like 166 games? It's pretty I close to a full schedule. I have it as 165. But okay. Okay. So, um, yeah, they tried to they tried to mirror it to to a, as close to a full schedule as you could. So we're all going to have a record that kind of looks like a major league record at the end. And as we talked offline before we started, losses don't really matter. We're really just trying to accumulate wins. But for the for the aesthetic of it, it's going to be a win loss record, and, and that's how we're going to go. So with that in mind, how much did these rules? Uh, impact your your valuations because I know that you, you're you're good on making your own projections. I know you came in with your own dollar valuations. By the way, I loved your 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 whole sheet that you had your your big board, if you will, where you're just crossing everything off. How much did these changes affect your valuations, or did you not see too much at all? Um, for the hitters, none. I, it was um, they were a little overpriced, and I kind of thought that from my. It just always seems to be that way. And it's kind of, I always figure like some hitters going to be more, someone's just going to value them more. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, that's just the way it works. It's um, you're not always going to get below, you know, your prices on them. So overall it was the hitters. I think actually my aspect of it worked out pretty good. I went for 
on hitters. I actually ended up at um, 69 because I kind of left money on the table. My catchers went for a lot cheaper than I thought. Yeah, kind of- you had more budgeted for Castillo and Real Muto, and obviously we'll get to your full team. So you left four bucks, but I don't think you missed out on anybody that you desperately wanted with those four bucks. Right, and at the time, I mean, we kind of talk about it now, is I think half the catchers weren't taken. Like, people were still needing catchers across the board, and I was like, all right, I got this money for them. People are, you know, still going to need to pick some guys up. And I really thought Real Muto would probably go for five. And when he went for two, I'm like, all right, I got extra money here and Castillo for one. So it was kind of one of these deals where it was just late. And I just thought I would have to pay a little bit more since so many people needed catchers, but they're just, a lot of them went cheap and for $1 or two. So it, it was no big deal. Like I said, I probably spent, you know, four and three on him. I don't think I would have lost any sleep over it. Better to have the money and not need it than vice versa, of course. Yeah. Right. And then, um, so when it got to the pitching, I had, um, just looking at it, you could get away with three starters to make the minimums innings, which at 200, assuming 200 innings, that puts you at 600. And then assuming 16 innings from your relief pitchers, the six of them got you at 960, which puts you at the bare minimum because it's 950 total without losing out. So I decided I'd actually go for four starters and that would put you around 1100 innings. And then I could kind of, if I'm, my innings are up or down, I can kind of, I have some players to play with as the season kind of goes on to make the minimum innings or to kind of depending on my opponent, if I get multiple starters or like I said, it just kind of gave me a little bit more options, but I definitely was not going to go with, um, I was going to try to win those K for nine, whip and ERA every week. And if the saves and quality starts wins categories fell to me, that's fine. Okay. I always, from what little I played head to head, the rates I've always found are kind of the easiest throughout the week to win. Absolutely. And whoever gets wins and saves or it's some weeks you can win saves by 10 and, you know, in other weeks it's none. It's just doesn't even out throughout the season. So I was kind of wanting to play with the rate stats a little bit more. And, um, so like I said, I, my plan to go in was to get four starters, and I wanted some of the studs at the top. My plan was to get Sale and Scherzer. I did end up with Scherzer, but um, and then just kind of fill out my team from there. So you, you mentioned Sale and Scherzer, and you also talked briefly about how you had a 70-30 potential split going in, and you basically hit that at 69-31. Outside of Sale and Scherzer, did you have any other specific player targets, or are you more of a, a moving target guy where you say, I've got you know 30 budgeted for this spot, but it doesn't have to be Chris Davis, who you actually did get. It could be you know Justin Upton or, or somebody else that you like. H- how are you more uh, usually going? Do you say, I want this player, or I just want this, this profile? I was – there were some players I thought might get undervalued. I was didn't know for sure – I know for the first couple of years with Tout, people weren't adjusting over from the on-base percentage, but that seemed to not be an issue. Like, I kind of really thought I would get Carlos Santana, and he went my price and more. He went 12 bucks to me. I, I was pretty happy to get him. Right, and it was, it was one of those deals where it was like I kind of just had some players picked out, and um, Chris Davis was definitely one. And the other thing I was kind of with the hitting is it wasn't that I blew off steals and um, on base percentage, but I was trying to also just try to win the the count the three counting categories of RBIs, runs, and home runs, and kind of built the team around that. So at least I could compete in those all week. And then, like I said, I wasn't giving up on on base percentage, but there's a few guys I have that will drag me down. Well, I said, but you've got a good foundation. In fact, you mentioned Carlos Santana. I think you've got a, a Carlos Santana clone in Lucas Duda, another guy who doesn't go as high as he probably should in OBP leagues, just kind of gets overshadowed a little bit. I think both of them are very similar, Lucas Duda and Carlos Santana. If you are in an OBP league, don't be surprised if they go a little bit cheaper than you expect. I thought you got Duda at 10 bucks. I thought that was a nice pickup. And once I, I think you got him before I got Santana. 
and I was thinking, okay, I got to be right around that ten to twelve dollar range because those two guys are, are too similar. I can't I can't be paying fifteen for Santana if Jeff only paid ten for Duda. So let's. I go- was amazed Duda fell. I mean, at that price, I think I think he was the one. I I think next year when I look at it, we go in. I was like like at the extreme ones. Like people are really worried about. It's like the most change from OBP to average. I just think that sometimes those values kind of get stuck in people's heads and it um, they just don't want to go more. Do you find that when you go from the average to OBP, people maybe pay more attention to the OBP than they used than they would for an average league? Or um, is that just something that I'm kind of making up? Because I feel like sometimes they kind of overdo it on the OBP more than they would average. Like in an average league, You'll take a Chris Davis because he's a stud, and you'll be like, okay, I might get a bad average. Or even like a Lucas Duda himself. But in an OBP league, folks are like afraid of a Jonathan Scope because he's got a bad OBP. Do you think it's because OBP correlates more to you know overall production than average, or, or do you not even see that at all as a factor? I, I do sort of see it as a factor. And I think in average leagues, like a lot of people just – how do I want to say this? Um, we'll just blow off average. Yeah, I agree. And I think the one thing now is that average is just so low. Like you don't have to blow it off that you can still roster because everyone's going to have to roster some of these low average guys. Cause it's just that way. If you want any home runs is that it's just going to kind of even out, but don't completely give up on it. I think that you can still get halfway up, you know, in your rankings and have a good, um, home run type team and you can pick up like with your catchers you can kind of pick up someone like um, Salvador Perez where he's going to give you a batting average that you can kind of pick up those type of players later especially like your you know your last middle infielder try to get a guy with a high on base percentage and the steals just like I said I think that there's some ways you can later on do it and just by picking up your targeting some players later to help you with average I agree I agree well let's let's go over your team um, and, th- and then we'll cover things more at large. First off, before we dive into more players, we covered your catchers already. How do you think your strategy worked overall without getting into the specific players? Did you feel comfortable with how you executed? Yes. The one issue I had as the draft went on is I only valued – I didn't value enough starting pitchers. Like way more starting pitchers went than I thought would. So I was kind of like mid-draft. I think in our first break, I had to go through and make another list of starting pitchers. Like one team only got one clo- one relief pitcher they're rostering right now. And um, I was just like, I was not going that way. I was going with the five reliever relief pitchers, high K guys, and then um, hope to get this um, saves later. And um, that was the one big issue I had had going as it went on, which is like, I don't, I plan on picking up some cheap, starters but all my cheap starters were going for more and they were just going like they were gone off my list so I kind of had to dive a little bit deeper that I think that was the biggest question that everyone had going in was how were starters going to be valued and we saw the studs kind of go for stud prices and then it was just kind of all over the map it kind of really depended when guys came out and and you know how they valued them for the K per nine somebody like a Sonny Gray only went for 13 and you kind of get it but at the same time that feels like a good price so it was kind of all over the map so let, let's fully dive into your crew now we talked about the Wellington Castillo JT Real Muto combo at catcher for three bucks thought you did really well there could have spent even more on them if you had to but instead you saved the four bucks no big deal let's talk about your corner infielders Lucas Duda at 10 bucks Matt Carpenter at 21, and then Mark Trumbo at two. Is is Trumbo somebody that got super depressed by the OBP and ended up being, you know, a pretty great value, or, or do you think he should be a two dollar player in this 12 team format? I had him a little bit more. It was definitely toward the dollar days when he was there, and I'm I'll have to see how my on base percentage kind of plays out. Is I've got um, Chris Davis in the outfield right now. Mm-hmm. Just the way it's worked out is I can move him down, move Trumbo out, which would make it maybe look a little bit more like it. And then um, down in my um, reserves, I could see myself 
wrestling uh, Ben Paulson on his home days. Absolutely. If they get a big home stand, I think you'll slot him in, put Davis into that corner uh, or first base, and then, yeah, remove Trumbo. But I still like Trumbo at two bucks. I'm not even a huge Trumbo fan, but for two bucks in a league that still emphasizes, po uh, emphasizes power, I thought that that was a nice pickup. I really like Carpenter as well. And overall, Jeff, I'm looking at your crew as we're going to dive further into it. I think your OBP is pretty darn good, even with a, a, a couple drags like like a Trumbo. And I'm not even sure you have any other real drags. I think you did really well to give yourself a nice OBP base. Let's move on to your middle infielder. You got Brian Dozier at 15 bucks, Jungo Gong at six bucks, and Dustin Pedroia at two bucks. First off, Pedroia at two is insane to me. I loved that pickup for you. I was kicking myself. Thankfully, I got a Starling Castro at two bucks, who I also really like. So I didn't feel too bad at the end. But I really like your middle infield here. Obviously, you got to piece it together for a little bit with Gung out. But how did you feel your middle infield turned out for you? It turned out great, especially when I got Villar. I was the last um, guy during the reserves round to pick. And I was just like, I needed some... I knew, especially with um, Gong being out, that I needed someone to slot in. And I had like four, you know, shortstops all listed out, ready to go. And he was my top one. And when he fell, it was great. Bolar is not going to probably play all year, but he'll give me it until probably Kong get, um, gets back. And then I can, he may just, I might just have to move on or he may have a great year and, you know, move him in when Pedroia gets hurt. I think I'm, I was happy, especially with having him in the reserve rounds, that I kind of got four guys with a couple of them with question marks with Pedroia and Gong to start to kind of start the season. Yeah, I think it's perfect uh, when, when you kind of look at it that way. You know, everyone's afraid of Orlando Arcia coming up, establishing himself and taking that job. And I totally understand that because he's a top prospect. But with VR, for you specifically, you're looking at, can I get two months out of you, bud? And that's all I really need. And, and if you crap out after that, whatever, I'm going to Jung Ho Gong anyway. So I like that setup. I think sometimes people get a little bit too focused. It's weird because I think sometimes on one hand, people don't get focused enough on the fact that it's a six-month season. And then on the other hand, there's the other extreme where people get too focused on it. And they say, well, oh, well, VR is only going to be good for half a season. Well, that's kind of all you need him for. And like you said, if it turns out that, hey, he's a great power-speed combo in the middle infield, and you've got him, Gung, Pedroia, and Dozier all working for you, then you can make a move. And so I thought that that was a good pick. That was your first reserve pick there to cover yourself. Uh, so you'll be all set for Gung just for a little while. Let's jump in your outfield because I think, I think this is where you really killed it and really established that OBP base that's going to uh, support you throughout the year. First off, you started with Jose Bautista at 36 bucks. We've already talked about Chris Davis at 30 Ioannis Cespedes at 16 bucks, who definitely takes a hit because of OBP, but probably yeah. too big of a hit. 16 bucks is insane. Christian Yelich at 12, and then OBP master Jason Hayward at 23. Talk to us a little bit about your outfield. The outfield, um, in the draft, there's about a 10% inflation initially. I kind of noticed that players were just like a $30 player was going for like 33. And on my whole team, for the hitters at least, the only player I overpaid for in my prices was Jason Hayward, but he was the last player at like that tier. I even had him valued under Matt Carpenter, so I had to go a few dollars more, but otherwise I was just happy. And I kind of like where Chris Davis has got the dual eligibility that I can kind of slot him down to first base if Trumbo doesn't. And I think it'll be easier to find an outfielder as the season goes on. I've got Hicks kind of slotted back in the reserves. I love Hicks, by the way. I do too. I just don't know how his playing time is. Exactly. So we got to see how that's going to play. I don't want to have to count on him again. He's kind of one like, well, maybe someone will get hurt and and with the Yankees, he'll get full time playing time, and then I can slot him in as reserve. And there's plenty of other outfielders that are playing that's just not rostered yet. I mean, there's with the 12 team league, we got plenty of guys that I can at least get a, a some a warm body. It's not like it's an AL league or an NL league where there just isn't anyone left out on the reserve rounds. But as a whole. I'm going to hit some home runs with this team. Um, I'm going to get the RBIs. I may be a little hurting on the run side, um, just like across the board, but every time they hit a home run, they get a run, so that'll help. That's a great point that you make about, uh, I want to emphasize again, it's a 12-team league. All the other tout leagues are 15 teams, which obviously creates a different dynamic. With this being a 12-team league, you can afford to maybe have a, a few, not necessarily holes, but places where you might be light 
And if you have to get into the waiver pool, it's just not going to be that bad. Even in a 15-team mixed, it wouldn't be. But 12-team mixed is even more comforting that you can find some pieces if you need some help. And then for your utility, you went with Steven Souza, who uh, definitely gets a boost via the OBP, right? Right. And he was one where with my little bit of money at the end, I kept trying to pick up someone a little bit better than Souza, and I, I just kept getting bit out. Alex Gordon was taken late. I went to write my max money to try to get him. He went quite a bit more. Um, Billy Burns was kind of available later. He went more. It was one of those deals where I was like, I kind of knew I had the money then and I was trying to, but Sousa's fine. And um, like I said, he, I'd kind of like the more power guy, but with my outfield I've got, I'm, I'm happy. And, you know, Souza was somebody that people were really hyped on last year. Maybe we were just a year early. If he kind of comes together and he is that power-speed combo at, at a higher level than, than we thought he was going to be, or than we, that, that we thought he was going to be last year, then all of a sudden, you're, again, you're looking at a luxury guy that you have that uh, is just in your utility. And if Ben Paulson kind of clicks in, in Coors with a full-time job, again, you've got maneuverability. So I, I did like that pickup for a buck. Worst case is he's not that good, Souza, and you just move on from him for a buck. No big deal. All right, let's jump into your pitching. You already mentioned Scherzer. Now, you had a plan to go in with Scherzer's sale. Sale went up to 33 bucks, which I think was a little bit higher than you wanted to go. You got Scherzer for 32 and since you mentioned that you want to dominate K9, it's no surprise that your backup to sale was Jose Fernandez at 28 bucks. Uh, your other starters, before we get into your relievers, are Kyle Hendricks at three, your Dono Ventura, your hometown boy at three, and those are your four starters that you're rolling with. Talk, talk, talk to us a little bit about those guys. Yeah, the um, with Fernandez, I am a little bit worried about his innings. That was one of my big issues is I'm kind of worried with him and Ventura that they're not going to hit the 200. So that's kind of why I went with four. If I would have gotten another workhorse like sale, I might have even went with three starters and um, try to pick up another just nice workhorse with the money after that. But with, like I said, with Fernandez and Ventura, it's just, I definitely needed the four. And then I picked up a few in reserve rounds and I'm happy with it. Kyle Hendricks, looking back that if I had the money, I maybe would have liked to have picked up a better pitcher um, that used that money to get someone besides him, maybe for a Raziel Iglesias. But I said at the time I didn't know. And with my pitching budgeting, I only had one extra dollar. Like it was actually dead on the extra money that I had budgeted was with, the, that's kind of why there's my percentages were off. Like more of my pitching was just like there. I just had spent right on it. I was like $1 off. So as a whole, I was, I'm happy, like I said, I just wish with the extra money I could have gotten someone better than Hendricks. Understandable, but you also have two hot prospects waiting on your reserve team with Lucas Giolito and Julio Arias. You don't need both to come up and dominate for you. Is the plan that one of them will come up and be a stud this year and, and you'll take it? I'm Truthfully, with just looking at my innings and coming up, it's like if I can get 100 innings out of the pair combined, I think I'll be elated. Absolutely. Um, I really... Just um, in the start of the offseason, I wasn't as high on Urias. But the way the Dodgers pitching staff is, they may need him to make the playoffs. Then, like I said, he just may get pushed into service as more and more of those guys fall apart. It's that pitching staff is just a mess. And like I said, I probably wouldn't even have looked at him. Like I said, a few weeks ago, I might have went with someone like I'm glass now. I think Urias is. He's with Giolito. I really just think he may be the best eventually. I mean, he's younger. People haven't seen him as much. He's probably got some growth in him. But it was one of those ones that just like within the last week, week before the draft, I probably wouldn't even considered him. But then when, as people started falling down in that Dodgers staff, it was like, I can just see him getting 50, 100, you know, 50, 75 innings, which for me will just be fine. I well, could see one of my guys getting off for a week or something, and I'll just slot him in. And they and the Dodgers themselves have talked about both Urias and Julio uh, Jose De Leon as being 
early options. You know, they, they know they're going to be on innings limits, and they're saying maybe we use them early to bridge the gap to some of these injuries. And if you can kind of get those early innings from Urias um, in May or something, and then you get the late innings from Giolito, that could really work out for you and, and definitely kind of uh, boost your, your Hendricks pick, which you didn't love because he's not a huge K-9 guy. But I think Hendricks will get you some nice uh, quality start plus win totals. I think he, he's good enough to go that six innings uh, and at least th- you know th- three runs or fewer relatively often with the Cubbies. So that should that should work out for you. Let's cover your relief pitchers because you got five of them. You mentioned that this was your plan to kind of focus on the K-9 and uh, not get so focused on quality starts plus wins. So you went reliever heavy with Will Smith at six, uh, Jason Grilly at three, Roberto Osuna at two, Silvino Bracco at one, who could potentially close out in Arizona if uh, Brad Ziegler doesn't hold up, and Sean Kelly at one, who's the obvious backup to uh, Jonathan Papelbon if anything happens. But, of course, you're just looking for the K-9 right now anyway. And then Jumbo Diaz as a as a reserve pick in case J.J. Hoover doesn't hold up. So you, you got your five relievers. Are these the five that you're comfortable with, or did you want any of the top-end closers? I wanted them, but... Kind of with my plan, they were they were starting to get into my price. Kind of looking back, I don't know if I would have liked Fernandez and maybe picked up someone like Danny Salazar at 20 and then had an extra $8 to kind of pick up like at least one stud closer, one of the top. I don't even know if I needed a stud closer, someone like David Robinson that went for like 11. I think I would have liked to have had, you know, knocked down Fernandez, got a little cheaper there. But um, I think each of the guys I picked up as has a chance at um, closing. I think that was kind of my key. Is like I can eventually get some saves later if I need to. Absolutely. They're not getting it right now. They may be getting them now. They may be getting them later. But I wanted pitchers with that. The one pitcher that went for, I think it was a dollar. I'll look around here. Was Hunter Strickland. He's. I think he's the best pitcher in San Francisco's one. And his K per nine was crazy. I, I know. Completely agree. By the way. That it was like when I saw him go for one and looking back on it, like I would have rather had him than Sean Kelly. I would um probably not than Brocco. Brocco's got an insane one. Um, but like I said, I think I would have pitched, you know, dumped him out for Sean Kelly and I would have went the extra two, I mean, the extra dollars on him. And it was just like, I think when he went, I that was just like the one person I was like, shoot, he just went too cheap and I should have jumped in. Yeah, Peter Kreutzer snagged Hunter Strickland for a buck, who I like in, in just about any format uh, because of his strikeouts and the fact that I, I don't necessarily believe in Santiago Casilla, even though he's done it for, you know, like a good year and a half. I understand that, but he is older. I just, I don't know. I just don't believe for some reason. And I do think that Strickland can leapfrog Romo. I'm not sure that they're going to go back to Romo in the closers role. So I, I totally agree with you there. But the guys you got, like you said, they're all either in in line to close already, like Will Smith. He should at least share the job to start. Jason Grilly looks like he's at least going to start with the job, probably so they can flip him. And then Osuna's right there with Storin. Brocko's right there with Ziegler. And Pavel Bond has a firm hold on that job. But if anything happens to him, it's definitely Sean Kelly. So overall, you said you, you kind of liked how it worked out. You're not you're not displeased with your team. Who were your favorite buys? Um, I liked Chris Davis where he went for. I like Chris and Yelich. I think there's a good chance that he could double. I don't want to say triple his price, but I could see him. He could eventually maybe even be a thirty dollar player. Like I like I the can chances see that. on him. I, I, there's a nice floor with him, and he could definitely do more. Um, do, you th- do you think the pop might be coming? Because uh, we, we hear that he hits the ball really hard. Uh, a lot of great skills for Christian Yelich, who you got at 12 bucks. Um, but he hits the ball on the ground a lot. That's kind of the thing that's keeping him from, from power. Do you think that there's the potential for more power? Like, even if they got double-digit homers, you know, like 12, that'd be huge in addition to what he already does. Do you see a power growth from Yelich this year? I would love him to not have that. I think if he just yeah ups the swing where he doesn't have the ground ball rate. I mean, Billy Hamilton's got the same problem. It's like, well, he's actually the opposite. Yeah, I was gonna say he's the he's the inverse problem. They should trade profiles. Yes, exactly. Like just put the ball on the ground and go. And um, what we'll I mean, he's got Barry Bonds there now to get him going in the air. So um, I I like it. Like I said, I think it was a low twelve dollars is the nice bottom, but I think it definitely could be up. Um, Jung Ho Gong. I like that at six. 
especially when I can when I was able to put them together with Villar, mm-hmm. VR. And um, no, I that was the one that I was amazed. There, there, like I said, literally on the hitters, the only one I overpaid for was Hayward. So like I said, I was happy with it. It took me a while with Batista. That first group was just going more. And I was like, well, as long as I've got someone in that tier to spend the money on, I'm just going to wait. And if I have to spend more, I'll spend more. And Batista went right at my price. And like I said, I'm willing to go more just because sometimes with the inflation, you can't be, I don't remember the guy a few years ago that wouldn't pay the inflation, but then ended up with like $80 left on the table. Scott Swain, uh, he had, yeah, he had like 65, 70 bucks, I think, had to spend it on his last player, which was an injured pitcher because in tout, if the guy's out for the year, you can kind of get that money back in fab. So he was left kind of holding the back. I actually think he finished like top four that year. So it was an impressive finish given that the draft obviously didn't go as expected for him. Now, was there anybody that you missed out on that kind of had you banging the table like, damn, I really wanted that guy? Um, I was really wanting to shield. Um, and I probably should have went more money for him. I was just in the dollar days, and they just bid me up. Like, I had $4 left on the table. It was when I had Sousa, and I wish I would have maybe gone a little bit earlier and got him. But like you said, you can see my one plus – four is five and he went for six i yeah. bit him up as much as i could and it was like darn it that's what i wanted that was you and i going toe to toe i wound up with him for six bucks so i was pretty pleased yeah, with I, that i just had to back i was just out of money it was one of those deals where i didn't even know yeah and um i'm trying to think of anyone else that i almost went the extra dollar on trout that was the one like i still don't know if it's right but i kind of like how i'm able to spread out my outfield a little bit more instead of looking at was it Peter's team. Yeah, yeah if, if you compare it to, well, we'll do the comparison really fast. Trout went for 49 to Peter Kreutzer. Obviously, you would have had to say 50. And then the rest of his outfield is Jay Bruce at four, Will Myers at four, Ender Inciarte at two, and Jorge Soler at seven, which, again, juxtaposed with your Batista, Davis, Cespedes, Yelich, Hayward, you got all top two outfield. Those are all outfielder one or outfielder two guys Meanwhile, Peter only got he got the very best outfielder or the second best if you have Harper ahead um, at the at the very least. But then it's a bunch of outfield threes and fours. Yeah, and, and so that was the one. Like I had, I kind of had him valued at I had him valued at fifty, and I just couldn't pull it, and I was kind of happy I didn't at the end. It yeah, was I don't blame like, you. It's like it's tough on those top guys because then it kind of happened to me with the pitching where I had to wait. Once I did Fernandez, like I said, I probably could have waited for like a $20 guy and um, been a little happy, you know, had some more money to spend on some quality, quality guys up to boost the rest of them. I will so say, I, though, that in this format, Fernandez is a great buy because not only is it K9, but if there is that innings limit, it's not going to hamper you as much because you can kind of prepare for it. And th- when he's performing for you, he's giving you kind of that max effort because it's each week. So it's not like it's going to waste or anything like that. When when he's dominating for you out of the gate, Fernandez, you're you're getting the max out of those innings. And then if there is an innings limit where it's like, okay, he's going to miss two weeks here in July. Well, you prepare for it and hopefully Giolito's up or Urias is up and you can put them in. So I don't know. I really liked him. I still thought he should have gone for 30 plus in this particular format because that K-9 is really going to shoot his, his uh, value through the roof. Yeah, the pitcher's. The top end pitchers I had valued more. I actually had Kershaw, and I just when I started trying to put together pitching staff, I had him valued at fifty. That that's where his value was at, and I knew that Scherzer and Sale were going to have the same surplus if they were going to kind of go for what how they were going in other auctions and stuff, and that's how it kind of worked out. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'm just going to try to get those two instead of the one. And it, like I said, it just, it didn't work out, but I'm, I'm fine with the results. Like I said, it was, Kershaw was, yeah, it's kind of like spending that whole bunch. And then if he does go down, it's just a kind of a tough trade-off. 
I, I totally hear you. As much as I, I totally agree that Kershaw is definitely, if he'd gone up to 50, I would not have balked it at, at all. He went 42 to Stefania Bell. I thought that was a nice purchase, but it is tough. You put 50, 40, $45, $50 on one arm, and if it goes down, oh, it just feels so killer. But at the same time, uh, with Kershaw, we haven't really seen him go down. He's been so amazing, so I understand why people make that investment. Now, Jeff, let me ask you one more thing before we cover my team a little bit. If the, if the same 12 of us got into a room tomorrow, one week later, and did this auction all over again, is there anything that you'd change? I would, I would have to value the pitching. I think the pitching would get closer to my approach. I think like people kind of noticed the starters. I think there's too many still win. And um, I think some people kind of looking at it may change that. You mean dump some of those mid later tier starters for, like for better Meek. relievers? Yeah. Yeah, I just don't think. I mean, truthfully, Sean Kelly would is probably a better choice than Mike Leake on a team. And yeah, there's just some of those later later starters that you're not getting the strikeouts from. That um, I don't. I just don't see rosterable. It was. I I don't know. Well, and you, I, I, you might not even get the, the, the ERA and whip might not even be that good from somebody like Leak. So what you're basically hoping for is quality starts plus wins, which, you know, he's on St. Louis. It's a good team and he's a pitcher who can go deep into games. But it really does kind of undercut the value of a guy like that. Whereas in Roto, I understand his value is kind of a rotation stabilizer. You kind of get those you know, 190 innings of, of solid work that you can kind of put on your on your roster in this format. Somebody like Leak. He's just not ne nearly as valuable. Right. And so that was the one thing. I think I think there'd be a few more relievers go. Um, I, some of our early relief pitchers went really high, and I think their prices would probably drop a little. Yeah, Wade Davis um, and Kenley Jansen. Uh, Kenley Jansen went for 25. Wade Davis went for 20. And... I don't want to say that that – well, I, I do think Jake Seeley, who, who bought Wade Davis for 20, did regret it when he saw the later prices. And in fact, later in the auction when it was his nomination, he tried to throw Wade Davis back out there, obviously in a joking manner because it was not that he doesn't like Wade Davis. He just didn't like him at 20 when guys like uh, – you mentioned David Robertson earlier at 11, Cody Allen that I got for 8. and. I, I loved getting that, particularly in the K9. And then Jansen at 25, like I understand Jansen's greatness for sure, particularly in a K9. He's been up at like 13 or 15 the last couple of years. But when you compare it to the other guys, it just it does stand out as high. So I agree with you. Those prices would come down. Some of these bottom-end starters that we drafted would get pushed out, and more of these Hunter Strickland, Sean Kelly types would likely come into play. Yeah, I was um... – yeah, like I said, I was kind of surprised Jimbo Diaz didn't um, didn't get auctioned off. There was there was definitely some of the Brad Boxberger. Well, it, it was tough to actually auction him, not knowing. Well, yeah, come the out. injury came out just before our auction. We did announce it to the room, so everybody did know. But I still thought that he would go for like a buck, and he ended up getting reserved. Not only reserved, but in the third round of the reserves. Yeah, Jeremy Jeffress. Jeffries. Jeffress. I, I say I Jeffress. say Jeffress. Um, yeah, he, he probably should have gotten in the auction part instead of reserve rounds. It, like I said, he's got the chance to save. He's striking out a ton of batters. It's those are the guys that should be on these teams instead of Mike Lee, which maybe that's, um, the same owners got him. I was going to say, I interesting that you mentioned that because that's Michael Beller who got Leak for a buck but also has Jeffress. Maybe he'll see yeah. kind of early on like, ah, I'm not getting what I want out of Leak, and he'll make that switch between those two guys. I think that is a really interesting component of this. These middle relievers really do come into play even though it's a 12-teamer uh, because of that K-9 and even the, uh, the, the net saves piece there. Let's talk quickly about my team. I'd like I'd like to get your thoughts on it. We'll run it down quickly, and you just give me your your snap thoughts on. Uh, we'll start with my catchers. I went with Stephen Vote for six bucks and Miguel Montero for a buck. What'd you think of those? Oh, that was great. Vote. We we're looking at each other, bidding them up. I yes, we were. Just, it was just like me and Paul actually sat right next to each other. So it was. Um, yeah, whenever we bid each other up, it was just kind of like. Yep, just right there. Was staring and, right at each other in the Fangraphs corner. Yes, and um, Howard Bender, ex-Fangraphs um, guy, was in that same corner there. So it was definitely um, 
we kind of dominated that little side over there. It was a fun room. Joe Pizzapia was right there as well. The four of us were cutting up the whole draft, and it was a lot of fun. Yeah. And um, no, and like I said, I think vote was good, especially on some of the with um, Matt Weeders going for eight. Some of the earlier catchers, I thought they were above my prices. And I didn't know if I was off. It was one of those like, am I off? But it's kind of weird. Like, there, there really was like twelve dollar catchers, and then it dropped down to like six. It right. It wasn't like a. It was a big and then jump. Six on down. So it was, it was, it was kind of a weird situation. It was like they were going big, and then they were like, "Oh, this is like the price they, I felt they should have been at." So do you agree with Posey going twenty five, Schwarber twenty three, and then nobody else going above twelve dollars? Um, or, or pardon me, thirteen dollars. Both uh, Mar- Russell Martin and, and Jonathan Lucroy were thirteen apiece. But that those were the th- uh, third and fourth highest after Posey and Schwarber. Yeah, and then there was like McCann at twelve. That's so it was kind of like that group. I was um, Schwarberg must be on like outfield or something. I'm trying to find him. He's on Anderson's team, first team over in the upper right, co- upper left corner. Excuse me. Oh, okay. I think I'm slotted over to myself here. Okay, yeah. I actually had them around that price. I know I was on the bidding. I thought I could get Schwerber, and when he went so close to Posey, uh, he wasn't. I think that one was an overbid. Was Posey but, maybe an underbid then? Should Posey have gone closer to thirty in your estimation, or Schwerber was just no, too high? I think Schwerber was too high. I think Posey was kind of around where he needed to be, and then I just kind of had looked at Schwerber and thought I could. He seemed to be a player that was underpriced, kind of looking at the past auctions and um, going in. But just two dollars less—that's that was too rich for my blood. I think I backed out. I was actually kind of hoping to get him cheaper, but I always think catchers kind of get undervalued. People are worried about him getting hurt, mm-hmm. and they were just going for higher. So it was, and then once it kind of calmed down, yeah, that half price around Martin and Luke Croy. Grandal went for 12 also. Yeah, Grandal, McCann were at 12, and then that's it for double-digit catchers. Everybody else was nine or, or, or fewer dollars. Right. So that's where it, yeah, it just seemed high to begin with. So I think you're fine. Like I said, I know we did vote up. I wanted him. And then um, Montero, was, he's, he's a dollar catcher. I mean, that's what we had out there, and you could we could get him for that. Yeah, so I, I was comfortable taking that gamble there. I know Schwarber's obviously going to take some of that catching time, but for a buck, no big deal. My corner infield, Carlos Santana, who I, we already talked about briefly. I love him at 12 bucks in an OBP league especially. Michael Franco at 17 I kind of thought spring training would boost his price up into the 20s. I was, I was very happy when it didn't. And then Matt Duffy from San Francisco for just a buck. When everyone saw that on the board, they thought that it was the Houston one because they're like, there's no way San Francisco Matt Duffy went for a dollar. And I don't think he's some super stud who's like a $25 player or anything, but I was surprised to get him only for a buck. What would you think of my corner infielders? I was mad about the Duffy one. I was kind of <laughs> filled in, and um, I hadn't had my whole outfield filled, and I didn't. There, I think I was aiming for one of the DHs that was still out there and hoping to kind of sneak him in. I think I was Kenneth Morales. I was kind of hoping to pick up for that one who went kind for of really, a cool six bucks by the way i know that was when i was at my five dollar limit yeah Could, couldn't go above and it's like i can just tell these look at some of these players billy burns for six bucks that's when i was probably at five you know it was Kendrick morales for six yeah when you and, were at that five dollar threshold i think you had a couple of uh under your breath like damn like just because you're just missing out on these guys right at that five buck threshold right and it was because I, I had all my dollar guys, and it's like, this is what I have to kind of bid up there. And if you had the shields at six, I'm just like looking at these late guys that went for that price. And I was like, yeah, I was in on all those. But um, no, that was a great buy with Duffy. Like I said, I think I was still looking for Morales at the time. And then um, moving on to your um, middle infield, the Starling Castro was a great one. I kind of should have jumped on that one. I was I surprised make- nobody pushed him up. He was only two bucks for me to go with my Jose Altuve at thirty-one and Addison Russell. That shouldn't surprise anybody that I got him. I only got, I only had to pay eleven. I thought the room was going to tax me on Russell because everyone knows that I love him. So uh, I was very happy to take away, take him away for eleven bucks, and then Castro at two as my middle. Uh, did you like the other two guys or just Castro? I'm almost positive I did. Altuve up on you. I was kind of aiming for him. I think I think I think that was one of our one of our early tussles, by the way, because he came out pretty quickly. And the one thing I kind of was down on him just a tad was 
he doesn't have the greatest on base percentage. Like all of his on base is based off his average. And I was kind of worried that if he has a bad Babbitt, that that's where his on base is going to go down with it. That, that's completely fair. And that's a risk that I'm, I'm willing to take, but I completely understand it. He's not a huge walk guy or anything like that. So I definitely need Altuve to kind of stay hit lucky and, and, and keep smashing those base knocks so that it keeps his OBP at a solid level. But again, a gamble I'm definitely willing to take at 31 when a lot of the other stars were, were much higher. He was the most expensive second baseman, but there were a lot of outfield stars in his realm going well into the 30s uh, and low 40s as well. What do you think about Addison Russell this year? Everyone on this podcast who's listening has heard me gush about him. Let's get let's get an outside thought here. What do you think about Addison Russell with the Cubs in 2016? I do not like him for two for 2016. Um, just looking at his counting stats, that how low he's probably going to hit in the order. And right now it looks like he's going to hit before the pitcher, so he may actually get some on base percentage help. He's from, not from the get cheap walks. I think he'd be. I actually think he'd be better nine than it hitting eight. But everything the Cubs say that they're going to bat the pitcher nine. So I think he's just going to take a hurt from those. But I think his overall talent's great. Like I said, like in a keeper league or anything, I'd have him in a heartbeat. I'm just, I don't know, just not sold how if the rest of his yeah the stuff that he doesn't have control over is just going to end up affecting him because he's going to lose 16 at bats for every place he's down in the lineup over the course of a season or plate appearances. So it's not big when you're like in the top, you know, five or so, but when you get down there, you almost lose a hundred plate appearances in the season, just batting lower. I can understand that. I can, I can hear that critique. And that's been one that's been common uh, to folks who have kind of given me the, the opposite side of Addison Russell. The thing is, for me, if he performs how I ex- expect and believe he can, I think he'll scale the lineup a little bit. Now, I don't know how high he can get. I'm not sure that you know even a huge breakout season would allow Addison Russell to get into the two-hole or anything. But if he can kind of get in that sixth spot, that's, that's what I'm gunning for. Maybe get him in the sixth, seven spot, away from the pitcher. That would be ideal for me right now, barring some sort of, uh, you know, I don't want to root for injury on anybody at all because I'm not a, I'm not a disgusting human being. But you know, if Ben Zobrist, he's he's definitely older, and if anything happened to him, then I think if Addison Russell's performing, he could be elevated into that two slot. So we'll definitely see how that goes. If he's stuck in the eight nine slot all year, it's definitely going to hurt the counting stats. But at eleven bucks, again, it's a gamble I was willing to take. Now, if I had been taxed up to say you know sixteen seventeen dollars then the back end of the, the lineup piece would, would have really hurt me more. But at 11, I'm comfortable taking that gamble. So we're definitely going to see how it works out this year. He's somebody I've kind of planted my flag with. He'll be in my bold predictions piece, which is coming out soon. That won't surprise anybody at all. Let's jump to my outfield and utility because it's also an outfielder. I went with Bryce Harper at 47, Yasiel Puig at 24, Charlie Blackman at 22, Jock Peterson at 8, the aforementioned Delano DeShields at six bucks, and then my utility is Kevin Pillar at two bucks. Have at it. Who do you like there? Who don't you like? I like you have a nice base with Harper, Blackman, DeShields, even Pillar, I think is going to be good, especially at two dollars. Where you'll win or lose, I'd say on your whole team may come down to Puig and Peterson. Completely fair. That it's um, Puig could be 35. I'd say even like a $40 player if he gets it all together and Peterson could probably be at 25 or they both could be zeros. Yeah. Because they could get hurt uh, or poor play. It could hurt Peterson after that second half was one of the most brutal ones that we've seen. He got off to a bad start in spring, but it looks like he's kind of getting the swing back a little bit. So that encourages me. I'm not so focused on the numbers for spring training, but the early reports on Peterson were that his swing was still a mess. We're starting to see him pile up some hits. So I'm definitely banking a lot on those two guys, not just in this league, but kind of across my league so far. I really like both of them, but I agree with you. They're, they're linchpins to my overall success for sure. Yeah, and like I said, I think you know what you're going to get from Harper. I mean, he's probably going to give you $40. He could do, give you more. Blackman's he, safe. He's going to hit. He's going to have a high average hitting in Colorado. He's going to, I don't see any reason he should stop stealing right now. He's going to have some home runs. He's safe. And I think you got could be a twenty dollar player in the Shields for six. I mean, it's he's definitely. I think that you got six dollars is the low side. I think you got a nice base there. Anything else is going to be um, 
gravy on top of that. On the shields, um, well, let's speak more from an overall standpoint here, especially if like we're talking roto, because that's probably what most people still play. But if you're going from average to OBP, what's your what's your dollar difference on somebody like the shields who does have that big walk rate that most folks probably don't don't necessarily realize if they haven't studied the shields. Does he get a big dollar jump for you when you go from the average to OBP? I had went through and uh, and started finding the um, players where the differences were huge, and he was one that stood out. Like I was hoping people wouldn't um, find anything, um, you know, kind of target him, and um, but no, everyone was all over him, so it didn't matter too much. Sorry, I'm not finding it. I'll no, no, that, that, that's that's later. that's totally fine. I was just curious if if, if you kind of had it offhand. He, he was definitely somebody that I highlighted as a big mover with our league format. Um, you know, because I think that the OBP is is a stable piece of his game, and I'm not necessarily banking on him for big power, but I think he's going to do more than the couple of homers he had last year. Because Jason and I were talking about this, because Jason got him on his AL Labor team. He, was, he had a 2% homer to fly ball rate last year. That's got to go up a little bit. So he can get six, seven homers uh, just by just by kind of getting some positive regression there. Meanwhile, I think that uh, the upside is maybe even some sneaky double-digit pop. Yeah, and um, it wasn't as much as I thought. He was um, – the Shields was only a – he gained a couple dollars. Okay. Moving over. It wasn't in the Votto range of – $10. Yeah, Votto gets that gets that super jump. By the way, let, before we get to my pitching, let's talk about Votto real fast. Should he have gone for more than 38 in an OBP format? I think I bit him up to that. I don't um he was that was definitely I think that was me, you and Brent till till the end and then Brent eventually Brent Hershey from Baseball HQ eventually won him at 38. I had him at 35. Okay. I had at 35. So it was like I said he went a little bit above what I was hoping, but no, he was um it was just at that range, and I, I know it was early on, and I was trying to get with the room, but it's like I knew I'd have to find some deals later, or if not, that was kind of like Batista was my player I took in that you know top range, so it was I was fine with that. So let's get to my pitching now. I only took the three relievers, so I, I obviously it's a little bit different than what you did, uh, but I, I felt comfortable that if some of these starters didn't work out, I can pick up. Obviously not these guys because they're already gone, but like the Hunter Strickland's, the Sean Kelly's of the world. I feel like I can find a couple because there's even a few on my list uh, from from the draft that I've kept that I, I still have ready and waiting. So uh, we'll start with Michael Walker at 11 bucks, Garrett Richards at 8 bucks, Danny Salazar at 20 This is the order I bought him, and so that's why it's not by price. Julio Tehran at 4 Justin Verlander at 8 Jason Hamill at 2 Those are my starters. And then the relievers, Cody Allen at 8 Jake McGee at five and Sean Doolittle at four. What do you think of my pitching staff, Jeff? I like it. There's a couple of players that are just not my favorite. I hate to say they're kind of boring. No, listen, that is, I don't mind if you critique. I mean, them. I won't take it personally. And Ron are just they're going to do what they're going to do, and I just don't really see upside to them. Okay. And like I said, they're just kind of steady, and they don't have the greatest strikeout rate. Yeah, particularly and, particularly Tehran. He's kind of established himself at, at a particular level. I think Waka still has some upside in the strikeout rate in particular because I look at a big chunk of his season last year, kind of his middle 20 starts or whatever, and he was striking out guys at a batter per inning. It was his awful September that kind of tanked the bottom line a little bit on, on what Waka was able to do, but I still think there's another level for him, and maybe I'm just projecting, but I, I really still like Waka for at least another jump. Uh, but we'll see. We'll kind of see how it goes. I thought at eleven, though, that he was priced to buy for me. And um, I know he went. And that was the other thing is I know he went early, and that's when I was still messed up on my starting pitchers. Like I don't think I had had mine set, and I knew I wasn't getting in on him at that price. Yeah, he was very early, and 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 it was still a kind of a crazy room. We didn't really know where guys were going to go. I got Garrett Richards pretty early, and so I was able to get him at eight. If he can rediscover that 2014 strikeout rate uh, for Garrett Richards, and I've got him at eight bucks, that's going to be phenomenal. Yeah, that was, like I said, I like that one. I know I bid Jeff on Verlander. I know I was in on him. Yes. I had him highlighted as seeing, how, seeing where he was going to go and definitely kind of a jump in if I need to. 
I was I was pleased to get him. Now, I, I guess the one spot that uh, maybe I should have gone for a reliever because uh, I guess it's it's probably not too different from the Mike Leake situation. Maybe in your estimation, Jason Hamill at two bucks, but he is a better strikeout guy than Mike Leake. So I do think he's better there. But are, are you comfortable with Hamill, or would you have gone with a, a middle reliever there? Um, I think it really didn't matter. It kind of depended on kind of looking at your it'll be a, if you can find them like i said that's i think people kind of picked up some of the middle relievers i think you're going to have to be active on the waiver wire because on your reserve rounds you mainly just picked up three other starters yeah i've got I, we'll cover my reserve you just tell me tell me your favorite of my reserves real fast justin bohr kevin kiermeyer jay happ jimmy nelson eduardo rodriguez and jackie bradley jr any of those jump out that you like or uh, do you hate them all um I had Jackie Bradley Jr. as a possibility when I ended up. Got, I like having an outfielder. You, you got have Paulson, though. I liked Paulson. And you got him right. in that and, same round. Right. And it's – you have five outfielders. They're the most likely per- people to get hurt. You need to have a backup there. Um, Kevin Kiermeyer is going to give you the time. He's going to play. Yes. I just don't know what his production is going to be. And like, his only sucks. Ones. Right. And it's, he's just – it's not that he's boring is he's going to give you playing time. And that's probably, I mean, and, and sometimes that's what you'll need if someone goes down or, if you know, John Peterson goes back to the minors again. Or, I mean, hopefully not. I mean, I'm trying to. No, no, I know. I know you're not, you're not calling for him to go to the minor, but listen, the way he played in the second half last year, if Jock Peterson does that again for a sustained period, the Dodgers are a contending team. They can't afford to have that. So it is in the, in the range of outcomes. I obviously don't think that's going to happen with Jock Peterson. I actually expect him to improve on last year, but I understand that that is within the, the range of outcomes if he doesn't improve himself. So that's why I got two guys that I think their, their defense will guarantee some playing time in Kiermaier and Jackie Bradley Jr. Right. And, and even if he Peterson continues to play at that bad level and the Dodgers don't do anything, you need to move. (laughs) Yeah. I I can't have him in his like 280 OBP in there. Even if he's hitting a few bombs, can't, can't do it. No, I totally agree with you there. So those are our two teams. Uh, Jeff, before we go, first off, I want to thank you, thank you for being on. This has been a lot of fun to finally talk about this this league because uh, I haven't really had a chance to talk about it since we left New York. Did any any of the other teams, any of the other ten teams outside of ours, jump out to you as somebody that you're eyeing as one that you got to take down because you thought they did a good job? The one team I like, Peter Kreutzer's team. He. He seemed to go with stars and scrubs and got some good deals on the scrubs. Yeah, he went heavy. Let, let's highlight his stars real fast. We talked about Trout. He backed him up with Goldschmidt at 47, Machado at 37, D. Gordon at 22, Jake Arietta at 28. And then uh, the only other two guys that were even above 10 bucks for him was a David Robertson at 11, Yasmani Grandal at 12. Everybody else was $8 or lower. Yeah, and it was He's going to have to play off the waiver wire. I'm not afraid. I mean, that's just it's it'll be interesting to see if if his strategy works out. And he probably if he loses one of those top guys, it'll be be a lot of money lost. Sure. You know, it's obviously, you know, anytime you got a guy who's up, up over 40, if you lose him, it's going to be a big hit. But in a 12-team mixed league, if you're ever going to have a chance to kind of replicate, not necessarily replace the value, you're not going to find a Goldschmidt on the wire or anything, but if you if you got to maneuver and try to work that value if he's down for a couple weeks, at least you're in a 12-team mixed where the waiver pool will be much more rich than in any of the other tout leagues. Yeah. Um, Anderson got a good team. I kind Anderson, of, his yep. kind, kind of even across the board. I'm gonna, it's not, doesn't have a lot of holes. He, he, he didn't. Did he roster one dollar player? Brett Lowry, two of them, Lynn. Yeah, Lowry and Lynn for a buck at your corner and middle. That's not too bad. Uh, and those were his only one dollar guys. Like you said, everywhere else was kind of balanced for Anderson. So he's definitely going to be a competitor. I don't really think anybody. You know, I'm not. I'm not just trying to protect feelings or anything. I don't think anybody did a bad job, particularly since we were going in. We didn't really know what to expect. If there was, you know, one mistake, I guess. It, I, I doubt Andrea Lamont wanted to leave eighteen dollars on the table. But at the same time, she still got a lot of high impact players: Miguel Sano, Lorenzo Cain, Anthony Rendon, Hosmer, Wainwright, Degrom, Keuchel. You know. But just imagine 
what what could have been if you if you take that uh, take like a Jordan Zimmerman for 11, add that 18, all of a sudden you're at, you're at 29 bucks and you're getting a, another stud player. You're getting Jose Fernandez at that point. So I'm sure she was bummed about that. But overall, I don't think anybody comes out and, and is the clear team uh, to to pick on here. We don't we don't have a Phillies or or a Braves in our league. I don't think. No, it's and and probably looking back, we probably do. Well, yeah, when, when we when we go now. back in six months, but but with the dust settling a, a week after, I think it's going to be a competitive league. And it's hard to judge a full season on, on the draft anyway because we know there's going to be so many moves. And I think particularly so in this league, because it's 12 teams, because it's head-to-head, there's going to be a lot of player movement. Right, and yeah, it, and um, we're just going to see how the format works out too. It's going to be, I mean, my plan cannot work and. I'm just getting last in wins and quality starts may end up hurting me. But like I said, I'm taking a chance and I'm going to try to win the other category. So it's just something I'm going to have to live with. I mean, if I'm running four starters and someone else is running eight, I'm probably going to lose those categories. Sure. That category. But you can also adjust in season. And so it's going to be really fascinating, Jeff. I think I'm going to have to have you back on a couple months into the season to kind of see how we're both doing and, and see if your, your thoughts have changed on anything. Because like I said, this is such a unique format. I don't think either of us have played anything like it that it's going to be something worth following all year. Are you going to write up anything about your team uh, before the season starts? I have sent one over to RotoWire, and tomorrow I'm going to have about at least a two-part and maybe a three-part series starting. Um, I've got to get my regular MASH reports out, and so I'm kind of sneaking in whenever – there's an open slot with Eno. So Perfect. there'll be one tomorrow and I'm kind of going to go over the rules and just kind of how people will deal with that. And then we'll start looking at the teams at how I did it and how I adjusted after that. But it's going to be a, a multi-part series and I still have to kind of get my other work done because a lot of people are still getting hurt. Yeah. The, unfortunately, yes, there are still plenty of people getting hurt and we need you on that because without the mass reports, I'm, I'm sunk. I, I need those to, to kind of know what's going on. I love that you have the surgery tracker out there. If you want to find out anybody who has, has gotten cut on this off season, it's very instrumental to look at those guys and maybe bump them down a dollar or two because it's always dangerous when you get cut on. Jeff, I want to thank you again for being on the show. I had a great time. We will definitely follow up in a couple months. Uh, Look forward to reading your write-ups. Until then, take care. Thanks. Bye.